Once again, the words of our text from Philippians 3, have the last two verses there in this first section. So Philippians 3, 10 and 11. Philippians 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I invite you to keep your Bibles open. I'll be referring to this uh, text throughout. Dear brothers and sisters, if you could, in your mind at least, uh, take out a piece of paper, maybe you can do this later, and write down what is your greatest ambition in life. Think about that for a minute. If I could come down from here and interview each of you and ask you what your greatest ambition in life is, uh, what would your answer be? What is the greatest ambition, the greatest purpose, something that you want most, that's top on your priority list, something in your life? Uh, maybe the, I, I typed this answer or this question online, got various answers, but some people said, uh, I want to make a difference in the world, or I want to get a, a great job that I love, or I want to uh, make something of myself. I want to be happy with who I am. Many different answers, and I'm sure you all maybe have a variety of answers. What's your greatest ambition in life? But now, if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, Philippians, as we read, if you were to ask him, Paul, what is your greatest ambition in life? And you know what his answer would be. Three, three words. To know Christ. For Paul... The greatest ambition, the greatest purpose, the driving force in his life, which underpinned and was the foundation of everything he did, was to know Jesus Christ. My question to you this afternoon, is that your greatest ambition? You know, maybe you have other ambitions in, in, in their place. Uh, they can be good things, things that God has put on your heart, and if they're done for his glory, but what is top on your priority list? And even with Christianity, at, at times we can maybe adopt a bit of, of a consumeristic view of Christianity that it's almost like a get-out-of-hell-free card where the gospel becomes, okay, this is something that, you know, I, 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 the blessings of being forgiven, having eternal life, and that's great. But the gospel promises us far more than forgiveness of sins. It promises us far more than not facing God and his wrath. The gospel promises us a savior who is ours. You can read about this in various places in scripture, but the father doesn't just send the son to save us, but the father promises Jesus to us as our bridegroom. You can read about this in Ephesians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 11, Revelation 19 talks about this, that the goal of the gospel is the Father presenting Christ to us that we might get to know him more, that we might get to understand who he is and to love him. 
And so this afternoon, we are encouraged and challenged through Scripture to make what Paul's ambition was also ours. Paul later in our, then our text 3 verse 17, he says, join in imitating me. You are asked, you are commanded by Paul to join in imitating him in making your greatest ambition to know Christ. And so that's the theme for the, the sermon this afternoon. The Christian's greatest ambition is to know Christ more and more. And we'll see if you have your Bibles open that Paul fleshes out what this means to know Christ. So if you see in Philippians 3, <coughs> verse 8, he talks about uh, knowing Christ Jesus there. He's, he's talking about how everything else is, he, he considers even as rubbish because Christ is his priority. So he says, uh, the, talks about the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, and then he picks up again on that in verse 10. You can say that the whole text here in 3, 1 through 10 is, is moving towards this, uh, this crescendo that Paul's greatest purpose is to know Christ. So you get that, he, he mentions that in verse 8, and then in verse 10 he picks up on that again. and says, I want to know Christ. And then he fleshes out what it means to know Christ. So if you look at verse 10, uh, you, could, uh, you could translate it in a different way. You could say, I want to know Christ, uh, that is, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and to attain to the resurrection of the dead. So three things we're going to look at this afternoon, what it means to know Christ. And the first thing is uh, knowing the power of his resurrection. So to know Christ in the first place means to know the power of his resurrection. I know a couple weeks ago it was Easter, and I'm sure we all are thinking about the resurrection on Easter. But is the resurrection of Christ something that shapes every single day of your life? When you got up this morning, did you think, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? Is the resurrection of Christ something that's often on your mind? Well, it should be because it applies so intimately to every detail in your life. You see, by faith in Christ, we are united to him. As you believe in Christ, you believe in him, and his resurrection power, his life, then is at work in you through the Spirit. The power of his resurrection. You can read about this also. Paul mentions this. Ephesians 1, if you could uh, turn there to Ephesians chapter 1. So it's the, uh, the letter of Paul right before Philippians. So turn in your, your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> so Ephesians 1, the last section of chapter 1, he, he, Paul is, he, he's praying this beautiful prayer over the, uh, the Ephesians, and he talks about the power that's at work in them. So if you look at Ephesians 1, verse 18, Ephesians 1 verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you. And then verse 19, he says, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. So he's praying that the Ephesians might know the great power for them. And then he says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. So Paul here is praying that the Ephesians might know the, the power of God for them. 
the same power he's saying that raised Christ from the dead. So I hope you got that point. Paul is praying that they might know the power of Christ, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And if you turn then to Ephesians 3, a little bit further, towards the end of Ephesians 3, he's, here's another prayer he gives uh, for the Ephesians. Verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So if you're following here, Paul says that the Ephesians, he's praying that the Ephesians might know the power that's at work at them. And he says that's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The same mighty power of God that raised Christ from the dead is the same resurrection power that's at work in those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's the same life of Christ. Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul also talks about this. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So knowing Christ, brothers and sisters, knowing Christ means knowing the power of his resurrection. It means that you come to understand that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power, the same life that is at work in you right now. The Spirit takes the same power and works that in you. That applies to us every day because when you get up in the morning, and you have maybe a big task list in front of you, and you feel stressed and overwhelmed, you either go forward in that day in your own strength, in your own resources, in your own power, or you go forward in that day in the power of Christ's resurrection. Says Paul, I want to know Christ. That is the power of his resurrection. Do you know Christ in the power of his resurrection? Right now, as I, I speak to you, if, if there was not resurrection power, I would just be a spiritually dead person talking to spiritually dead people. The resurrection power of, the, the, the beauty is the same resurrection power that was at work in Christ, raising from the dead, is at work in us. So that's what it means to know Christ in the first place, to know the power of his resurrection. And then secondly, Paul goes on, If you turn back to Philippians 3, verse 10. So he says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Being a Christian means we know Christ in his resurrection power, but it also means we know Christ in his sufferings. And I think this is a a part of the Christian life that all of us would like to just be picked up and helicoptered over. If I asked any of one of you right now, do you want to suffer? You would probably say no. We don't want to suffer. But Paul here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's saying that to know Christ means you don't just know him in his, his glory and his resurrection power, but you also know him in his suffering. Being a Christian, knowing Christ, means that the Holy Spirit squeezes us into the mold of Christ's sufferings and his triumph. You know, Jesus himself taught us this. 
You probably know this passage well. Matthew 16, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is teaching. He's saying, if you want to follow me, it's a road of suffering. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Paul says something similar. He's speaking to uh, churches who are suffering the church is in his first missionary journey, and he says, Acts 14, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Being a Christian and knowing Christ means we fellowship with him in his suffering. It doesn't mean we earn our salvation through our suffering. But it means that God is saying that as we are his children, we will suffer with Christ. Romans 8, another well-known passage. Romans 8, 17. We are children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. To be a Christian means knowing Christ in his suffering because that is the path of the Christian, because that is the path of Christ. He did not just helicopter over suffering, but he was the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. His path was one of suffering to glory. And God says, for all of my children, I am conforming you to that same image of Jesus Christ from suffering to glory. From trials to triumph. Because that's the way he works. And isn't that something that you and I need to learn more and more in our Christian walk? As, as a church here, but also as individuals. I think all of us want to skip over the suffering. All of us for our church want glorious things, don't we? We want to look good, be held in honor. And yet, the path of the Christian church is the way of the cross. A church that doesn't have life all figured out, that isn't perfect, but is the suffering bride. But it's when, as church, we suffer, as the cross leaves an imprint on our life, that is such a powerful witness in the lives of others. When others see our suffering and how we deal with it, it leaves a powerful witness. We need to learn that the path of the Christian church is one of suffering, but not, also the church, the, not just the church, but also our own lives as individuals. You know, how often isn't it that we think we're under God's blessings when everything's going good in our life? When we're financially secure, when we're happy, when we're healthy, when we're accepted, when we're honored, when our children are doing great, when there's food in abundance, and we think, okay, now we're under God's blessing. But listen to Christ, what he says. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are hungry now. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn you on account of me. Matthew 5, Luke 6. Blessed, he says, are those who are suffering, not because suffering is so good in itself, but because suffering is the way that God uses us to wean us off this world 
and to bring us into closer conformity to Jesus Christ. Do we get this? That this is God's way. This is the path of the, script, the Christian. This is what he's laid out in Scripture. He says, it's suffering before glory. It's trials before triumph. It's the cross on the way to glory. So I pray that all of us may put on the glasses of Scripture to view what God is doing in our life. That when we suffer, it doesn't mean that God is pushing us away. But it means he's actually bringing us closer to himself and he's molding us into the image of Jesus. I know there's a story of a lady, perhaps you have heard of her, who learned this lesson. Her name is Joni Erickson Tata. I think she's in her 70s now. But she was a young, athletic girl. Um, she was into horse racing and all kinds of different sports. And she thought of herself as God's athlete. You know, God has given me all these, these skills. I'm God's athlete. And then when she was 17, she had an accident. She was uh, swimming and she dove into the water and the water was shallow, but she thought she could pull up out of her dive quickly enough. But she didn't and she broke her neck. And she wrestled throughout the next years of coming to terms with the diagnosis that she would never be able to walk again. That she would be in a wheelchair her whole life with very limited use of her hands. And she wrote recently about this and she said, suffering, there's not much good in it. She says, it's a textbook that will show you the stuff of which you are made and sometimes it's not very pretty. It will squeeze it out of you. You might say you know Christ, but next time you suffer and suffer hard, find out what comes out of your mouth and that will show you how much you know Jesus. She wrote, I think the whole reason behind suffering is to press us up closer to the Lord Jesus and not make suffering so much about us, about how will my faith be refined, my prayer life deepened, but about how can I hear the heartbeat of God in Christ? How can I resonate and identify with him? She said, my paralysis is not, it, it, my paralysis is about knowing Jesus better and that is the summation of it all, to know him better. And then she reflects on her times of pain and suffering. She says, I wish I could describe in these moments the sweetness and intimacy with my Savior. Of all the things I've learned, he's so sweet and so lovely and so worth knowing. And then she says something shocking. She says, and I would much rather be in this wheelchair, knowing him like that, than to be on my feet without him. I'd rather be in this wheelchair, knowing him like that, than on my feet without him. Because suffering taught her about her Savior. So in our suffering, know that that doesn't mean you've lost contact with Christ but it's the exact opposite. That in our sufferings, we come into contact with Christ who is known, Isaiah 53, as the man of pain, the man of suffering. 
And so when we're tempted and hounded by Satan, we come to know Christ who is tempted in every way like we are. Hebrews 4 verse 15. As we battle darkness and loneliness and depression and going down dark roads of Sheol, we come to know Christ who said, as we heard this morning, my heart is overwhelmed with sorrow unto death. As we are shamed and insulted and made fun of for our faith, we come to know Christ who is spit upon, who is insulted, who is laughed at, Matthew 26 and 27. As we're left out, maybe at times, and abandoned or deserted, we come to know Christ who suffered outside the city gate, Hebrews 13. As we go through pain, we come to know the one who was the man of pain, Isaiah 53. As we get sick and as our bodies break down, we come to know him who bore our diseases and took on our illnesses, Matthew 8, 17. As we grieve, we come to know the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53, verse 5. As we are weak and frail, as we come closer to the end of our life, we come to know Christ who was crucified in weakness, 2 Corinthians 13. It's in our suffering that we come into contact with Christ. To know him is to know him in his suffering. And the third thing that Paul then talks about in Philippians chapter 3, so he talks about knowing the power of Christ's resurrection, which, which is what carries us through suffering. Then he talks about the, the suffering. And then verse 11 says to know Christ is also, he says, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. To know Christ means also pressing onward to that day when we are resurrected bodily. And see here what Paul, and if you look at the, the next verses too, that the goal of Paul's life, he's like, an, he's like an athlete pressing on to that day when he knows Christ fully, even as he's fully known. Paul's ambition is to arrive at the resurrection of the dead. You see here the the beauty of this text too, how the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul, how he he puts this, that we get resurrection, then we get suffering, and then we get resurrection again, that you see that our suffering is informed by resurrection. That it's the resurrection of our bodies that make our suffering worth it. As Paul writes elsewhere, 2 Corinthians 4, he says, our light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us a weight of glory beyond compare. Every single thing you suffer in this life is worth it. Nothing is pointless because everything we suffer is adding on to that weight of glory when we attain the resurrection of the dead where we see Christ, where we behold him, and we will say in that day, every tear, every pain, every headache, every stressful moment was worth it because it made the glory so much greater. Suffering will make the time of resurrection in our renewed bodies, on a renewed earth with Christ that much sweeter. And so Paul He is looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. 
And for him, this was also all about knowing Jesus Christ. You can read in 1 Thessalonians 4 that he talks about when Christ returns and when we are transformed and we go to meet him, he says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Paul here, he's excited to arrive at the resurrection of the dead because he knows that on that moment, he will be with Christ forever. Knowing Christ means also looking forward to that day where we see him in our renewed bodies. And so my question again I asked at the beginning, is it your ambition to know Christ more and more? Can you honestly say that that is the highest priority in your life? Is your eye on spending eternity with him? Because if we don't make it our aim to know Christ now, then what makes us think we will enjoy heaven which will be all about Christ. Heaven will be all about seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. You can read about this throughout Revelation. And so if it's not your aim and your goal and your driving ambition to know Christ more now, you'll see that heaven will not be that enjoyable because it's all about him. And so my encouragement to you through God's word is don't get caught up in the values and the priorities and the pleasures of this world. This world might dazzle you and Satan does everything in his power to make this world seem so attractive so that our eyes are constantly looking down instead of pressing onward to knowing Jesus Christ more. But I will tell you that no matter what the world promises you, you will always be thirsty. You will always be empty unless Christ is the one you want to know and the one that is your ambition to get to know more. So as you go from here, three things to take with you. The first thing is pray for the Spirit to make it your ambition to know Christ more and more. If you're tempted this week to, to look elsewhere for your greatest ambition, pray that the Spirit point you to Jesus Christ so that you see with eyes that are open that he is so worth knowing, that he's the only one that can fill the emptiness in your heart. Secondly, pray that the Spirit might press you into the mold of Christ, not just in his power of his resurrection, but also in his sufferings. Pray that as you suffer this week, maybe big things or small things, that you might see that the suffering is conforming you to Christ more. And thirdly, know throughout this that the life of Christ, the resurrection power of Christ at work in you will bring you to that day where you stand with joy before the throne. Know that the power of the resurrection, the same power that raised Christ and that as that's at work in you, you will be carried home to that day. You stand before Christ. And so go forward with joy and with courage. Go forward, making it your ambition to know Christ. Amen.